Hi, nerds. I'm Michael Moore, hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm here with Tom Ferrucci, Chief Information Officer at NACCO Home Group. Hey, Tom. Mike, how are you? Nice to nice to be on. Thank you. For I'm doing, doing, doing very good. Glad to have you on today. Um, I'm going to jump right into our icebreaker segment, and then uh, and then we'll get some more, into some details here. But um, this is an a icebreaker segment called Random Access Memories. Uh, I ask a question, and you just respond with whatever comes to your head first. Super fun. Have fun with it. Your first question is, if you could rename any IT device or software, what would it be and why? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, early in my career, uh, I spent a lot of time working with equipment from Digital Equipment Corporation, um, you know, just kind of giving you a sense of how long uh, I've been in the industry. And they had device names, and it was almost like going to Ikea, the way they named some of these device names, the Dequa, the Delqua. There were, there were so many odd named devices, and to remember them all, um, it, it was always a challenge, right? So, uh, you know, maybe giving some of those older uh, legacy pieces of hardware that I've had some experience on names of uh, what they actually did, the Switch. You know, or some sort of, uh, you know, actually back then it may have been a hub uh, going back that far. But these these unusual names that Deck used to come with always used to amuse me. Yes, true, too. I, yeah, I did have um, uh, I did have the, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate uh, of of my earlier in my career uh, having to come across uh, some digital equipment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then have to run it, and then have to learn the the crazy operating systems that they put on them, like VMS and stuff. Yeah, uh, VMS. I spent a lot, many years, you know, not many, but enough years on VMS to, to the point where it's still. I always considered it to be a, a rock solid, obviously very old operating system, but uh, very very rock solid for its time. Very uh, very well designed for its time. Obviously, it, that time has long since passed, but uh, it, it was actually a, a, a terrific platform to to learn a lot of things on. It was a testament that it was still running when I got to it. So <laughs> I think that that's a. <laughs> yeah. um, if uh, if you could travel to the future and see any IT related development or innovation, what would it be and why? Well, I think my answer probably isn't going to surprise a lot of people for sitting here at the beginning of November 2023. But what will uh, AI look like? Artificial artificial general intelligence, right? Not just the generative AI. What is it going to look like in the future? What's it going to do for us? What's it going to displace? But what's it also going to enable, right? We all have a lot of ideas and uh, we all have a lot of, you know, both fear and excitement, mostly excitement, but there's definitely some concerns. So unsurprisingly, I think that would be the area I would look to now, uh, probably because right now it's such a hot topic everywhere. The conversations are are fast and furious, even within my business units. How can we use it? What can we do? What are the practical use cases? And we're all really trying to think of different things that would be of the most value for us, right? But it's such an early stage with the generative AI and what it could do, you know, as as it advances, right? I think we're we're just trying to get our arms around it. So that, to me, would be the most exciting thing, you know. And if you'd asked me this question a year or two ago, it would have been something else. And who knows, maybe in a year or two, it'll be something different. But I still think that'll be the one it's, well it's interesting too because um I, I always wonder how many how many uh um uh automated uh sorry how many ai generated ai articles are auto degenerating itself uh, to to keep the buzz going right <laughs> we may have an ai podcast with our likenesses up there I'll, I'll be sitting you know somewhere else my podcast will be being recorded by my uh ai generated image 
they have that. It, it was amazing to kind of see they're taking artists now, um, different artists, and and they're collabing them, you know, making collabs together, uh, right? So w- things that would could never happen, right? right. Like mm-hmm. people that that have been long since uh, uh, deceased, uh, and just combining the two together, just so you can see what what that collaboration would have looked like. Right. Yeah. Some no, I, amazing things that are happening with a with AI. And you're right. This is just generative AI. This is just like, you know, the the beginner steps. Yeah. Right. I mean, everyone, you know, the artificial general intelligence is the, the big goal at the end of the, the road. But, uh, you know, how we get there, when we get there, if we get there, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of anticipation um, and some fear as well. But uh, it, it'll be very very interesting to watch and hopefully, you know, play a part in, in some of that stuff and in, in its use cases and its applications. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's a, that was a great answer. Um, and your last one, if you could merge any two IT related devices or software, what would they be? And what would be the result? Wow. That's a, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. So, uh, for me, you know, we spend a lot of time working on ERP platforms, right? So we always try to, you know, merge that to uh, as we penetrate into uh, our warehouses and our factory floors. My background has been a lot of manufacturing operations, warehousing, right? So, and there's there's definitely tons of penetration between ERP and warehouse management systems and and shop floor. But uh, there are times when uh, it's it's a little bit uh, siloed, and I think you know, getting fuller penetration into the Operational technology would be something that would be of great interest to me. I spent a lot of time working on that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always an effort and it's always a lot of work. And, you know, the, the convergence of some of these platforms with more open integrations, open interfaces, uh, you know, obviously is a lot better than it used to be. Um, but it's still, to me, it has, has a long way to go. Uh, and I think that would be something that could really, uh, you know, open things up for especially people in my role where we are supporting manufacturing, operational warehousing environments. And, you know, we can make or lose money based on how efficiently we pick a product uh, to go out to an e-commerce customer. It's it's amazing. So I had um, a chance uh, um, and I worked for probably a little over a year to work for a company that did manufacturing um, and do uh, and I do IT for them. Uh, and it was uh, such an interesting experience. At that point, they uh, they were using uh, Oracle. Uh, yeah, to, uh, right. many years on Oracle. That's a, a customized, deeper. heavily customized Oracle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, what was amazing was the amount of uh, the amount of things that you had to customize just to get an order through to get it from one place to another to to make it you know and and, and you had to think of the entire process you know hey listen they're going to place an order they're going to take this order and 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 someone's got to make sure it's correct and then they got to move it out out into uh you know assign those items and break them down and figure out you know let's get them pick let's pick them and and put them on so we can ship them to where they need to go and stuff like that or sometimes even manufacture it first and get these items there is so much that goes into this, and I could we could almost just spend an entire hour mapping it out, right? The easily, amount easily, easily, you know, the process, uh, the processes that ha- you have to deal with in manufacturing is just remarkable. And I, I think that's where things get very interesting, right? Because all of the operations are, are somewhat different, right? Everyone's manufacturing process, whether you 
know, there are some standard processes, but because everything manufactured has some variations to it, you know, it's, it's always going to be something that you are working on that's new. I mean, it's, it's terrific working on, you know, many, you know, financial systems. I've done plenty of work in, on that, but you go from company to company, services, manufacturing, uh, you know, other industries, you know, finance is finance, you know, they're, they're all have the same kinds of things and that, that's fine. That's, that's good work as well. But really the, the, some of the most interesting things are, are when you start, uh, you looking at that operation and how things are made or how things are, uh, you know, put together and what's the best way to get the information, uh, to where it's needed, when it's needed, um, and, and make that, uh, product, that tangible product, make it become a actual product faster or more efficient or cheaper. That's always a lot of fun to me. No, I, I completely agree. I'm going to, I'm going to rewind for a minute because we're going to jump back in this conversation, but I rewind because I want to properly kind of, uh, um, help the audience understand, uh, um, the, the breadth of knowledge and experience that you bring, uh, right now. So, um, you have, you have over 35 years of IT experience. Is that, that's correct, right? That, that is correct. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I even saw that you had 22 years with one company. I did. I did. Yeah. We, uh, my, my, my previous position to where I am now, I had spent uh, almost 23 um, with a manufacturing operation here in Rhode Island. Uh, and uh, we were a, uh, an automotive supplier, automotive interior. So uh, again, you know, heavily geared towards automotive, which is a challenging industry, right? The, the automotive OEMs and the tier one suppliers, which we were considered sometimes a tier two, occasionally a tier one. But there's there's definitely challenges associated with that. But it was it was it was a long run. But uh, it was it was never boring. It was you know, if you had told me the day I started there, I would be there 23 years. I would have said, I figured maybe five eight years, and then you, you move on to something bigger and better. But the challenges just kept coming at us. And there were just, you know, so many interesting things to work on. It was just, uh, you know, the, a fast pace, lots of interesting things. And it just, it never stopped. And it was, it was, it was actually, you know, quite a bit of fun uh, in a lot of regards. You know, it, it, it's actually, it's funny because I was going to ask you a question and you actually answered the question before I could ask it, but I really want to go back and tell you what I was going to ask you. Okay. And that, what I was going to ask you was what keeps you working at a company for, uh, you know, for 23 years, right? And I think you just answered it. Well, I think that's a big part of it, right? The, 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 the ability to be doing new and different things and learning different things. I also think, you know, the team that you work with is, has a big part of it. I, you know, I had the ability there to assemble a, a really terrific team around me within the IT group. Uh, and that, that was, that was great. They actually had, I had some long tenured people there as well. And the ability to, to rely on that team to meet our objectives and kind of move all in one direction. I think that was, that was definitely great. And, you know, the fact that I had a lot of executive support from the, the C levels, the VP levels down, they all believed in the technology, which makes my job so much easier, right? If we're yeah. not fighting against the tide and we're not, and I've been very lucky in my entire career in that regard. I've had a lot of support from the executive row, the VP level row. They've all believed in technology and it can be a differentiator. So that, that does make my job easier um because you know there are things that are, are difficult to do and having to to you know deploy challenging systems broad deep systems or you know whatever initiatives you're working on is just so much more challenging if you're fighting a massive battle against change management so that's that's been you know something in, in my career i think's been very lucky that those you combine those things and it's been very very rewarding and, and you know, I had a similar a similar thing because I was at a company for 16 years, and and it's the same thought, right? It's 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 having that 
It's having that uh, um, support from leadership. It's having the, uh, um, you know, the ability to work with a team of p- individuals that not only you trust, but also are very engaging and everything. And you kind of play off each other. And, and it's being able to be nonstop challenged with new things. And I, I think that's a huge one. I'm glad you brought it up because I have seen before, and I'm sure you have, um, where people have run out, like maybe they, you know, uh, a manager is not utilizing someone correctly and then they leave and they yep. had so much potential and you're like, ah, no, come back. Right. So, um, this is something I know I've seen. Have you seen this? I have, and it's 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 happening to me as well, right? I think you know, as I learn and I, I, I hopefully become a better manager, uh, you know, I recognize that kind of thing. But where we have, yeah, I've definitely seen those cases where you know someone isn't challenged enough, or someone isn't utilized in an area where they really could have a lot of value, and you get the best from them, but they will definitely look for other opportunities. So I think we've all come across that, and I, I just try to learn from that and, and try to say, you know, what could I have done better to better engage this person? And uh, you know, I think I've done a pretty good job. Throughout my career, listening to the team around me, and you know, you know, both you know from the user perspective, from the IT perspective, but definitely, you know, th- those are cases where you you see someone and you know they're very good at what they do, and maybe I just didn't challenge them enough, or you know, or maybe they 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 the opportunity that was in front of them was also much bigger than I could have provided. I think that's actually a win as well if you can build your team and grow them, maybe sometimes they outgrow your roles and move on to bigger and better things. And I'm always happy to do that too. And I'm hope I got the best out of them. Um, but again, I'm not going to hold anyone back if they have a vision of doing something bigger and better. And, you know, I hope that maybe I played some part in, in helping them grow and learning a few things. And hopefully they taught me a few things too, which is pretty much always the case. I think a lot of my team, um, you know, maybe they've learned from me, but I've learned a lot from them. Hey, that's, that's a, I, I love that that viewpoint because it's such a great um it, it's such a great way especially in IT right because IT is just constantly changing constantly evaluating i have a lot of respect for the fact that you have 35 years experience in IT cuz uh um i'm at 22 years i think right mm-hmm. and um and it, and i i feel the okay it's changing again all right yes. you know <laughs> you know and you're just constantly shifting and trying to keep up and it's and it feels like you're riding a wave that never ends right it, it does um you know in some ways i've kind of looked, i look forward to some of the changes though it's like what is new what can I, you know and I, I i think it would be and i've seen this in it people as well who become very set in their ways and you know they're very tied to a certain platform or they're tied to a certain system and you know making a change is, is definitely getting you out of your comfort zone but i've done it more than a few times and it's usually worked out pretty well it's tough for a period of time um but boy you come out of it much stronger much smarter much more able to adapt and grow and really, you know, help whoever you're working with. I, th- that's my opinion on, on a lot of that. So, I, you know, I've come to the fact that, Hey, we're, this is being updated. Let's, let's take a look at this. Or this, this is something new that's coming at us. Let's, let's, you know, let's not push it off to the side. Let's try to figure out what it can do to help us. Um, and sometimes it can. Sometimes you look at it and you say, this technology is maybe not for us or maybe not for us today, but at least we didn't shut it out immediately and, and not even evaluate it. It, I, I, that, I agree. And, you know, kind of, kind of brings me to a, um, a thought here. Um, you know, we're constantly changing. We're constantly, you know, adapting to this, uh, um, to this, these things. And we constantly want to innovate. And I saw 
um, as I always joke on here, I, I always research folks and cyber stalk them ahead of time. And uh, I go through all their posts on LinkedIn and everything. And you had a theme and one of your themes was innovation, uh, um, heavy on digital transformation, heavy on innovation, heavily on using, um, uh, you know, the, um, the kind of the merging of IT and ops to gain efficiencies and stuff like that. And and so before I dive into all that, I want to ask a question that I've always kind of been puzzled uh, puzzled with because when uh, um, I, when I see great uh, uh, executive leaders, right, they always seem to know that they're not there yet because it never ends. But 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 they always have a, a plan in place. This is the next thing we got to do. This is the next uh, uh, item that that we need to um, we need to address. This is the next uh, uh, piece that we need to go for. And it always seems to be a uh, um, it always seems to be that they have a plan in their head. Well, of course, I know in, in making it to that level, right? That it's really just like I got to find the next one. I got to find what is it? What is it? What's the best way to um, you know explain to our audience? At least from your perspective, how you handle that, how you make sure that you're always uh, keep things moving and you never stall out. Well, that's a great question. So I think one of the things that really helps me is kind of listening to the people in your environment, right? What are they dealing with? What are they? What are they being challenged with? And what are they? What What can you get out of them? I, I, we just did a scenario very recently at work where you know we've got some platforms we do some development work on, and. Something came across my desk that was a very simple task. It didn't, but this is something I felt that maybe that user community should have said, Hey, you know, within your team, Tom, you've built these sorts of applications on these platforms. This was perfect for it. Right. And how did I not get that out of them? Right. So that, that's kind of the challenge. You know, what, what am I doing? You know, not listening. What didn't I hear when you had this challenge? So I think listening to the people around you will definitely help build your vision. Obviously in IT, we're always looking at what is new, what is different, what is coming at us, and being able to merge that together with what you're seeing the business around you uh, struggling with or what they're challenged with or what their vision is, right? You know, where do they want to go to and how can I get you there? Or sometimes the other way around, hey, these are the kind of things we can do um, systemically. These are the kind of things that we can do with technology. How can I, I, I can take you here, I think. So, you know, and, and the ability to hear what they're saying has, has really help me generate that. I, I think the other thing is I had a colleague you know, who sent this message a long time ago, and I, it's, it's kind of one we sticks with me is, uh, you know, sometimes you will go down the path and it maybe isn't the right path. But this person had said, you know, a couple of times, I, I remember this very vividly, fail fast, fail cheap, knowing to cut it off, right? Knowing that path that you're going down is not the right path. And then when to cut it off and when to pivot or when to go to a, to a differently, you know, road altogether. So I think that's the other one is, you have to recognize that when maybe, you know, every decision we've made is, is not, you know, the right one. We've definitely made some decisions that you look back on and we could have done better. And that's where you learn the most. But, um, you know, I think if you pursue it so much and you just try and try and try to the point where you know that it's not going to come to fruition, I think the ability to, like I said, this person, you know, said fail fast, fail cheap, and then you're on to the next thing that can add value. And that's, I mean, I love that because, 
there's a sense of, and and this is a, um, I think an important piece too. Uh, there's a sense of uh, 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 vulnerability that you need to accept when you work in IT, which is you, you a are, little bit humble at times, <laughs> right? You you will be humbled. It will happen, right? <laughs> you uh, you you have to understand that there's no way that you can keep up with everything, right? And that's why I love your answer about the um, listening because you you that's why we hire individuals, right? Because we hire uh, smart individuals to help us all as a team kind of uh, get there, right? And I love that you said, hey, let's use the individuals uh, that are around us, not just the ones we hire in uh, stuff, but the our team members too. And this kind of gets back to kind of something I want to talk about, which is um, the merging of IT and ops, right? And kind of uh, marrying those two. Uh, that to me sounds like that's a a pretty big uh, listening exercise that has to happen there as well, right? Oh, definitely. I think if you look at early on in, in my career, obviously I took a path that a lot of us in IT have taken application development and, you know, we're, we're, we're writing applications and using a waterfall method of, you know, developing the applications, a very tried and true process for many years. Um, and, you know, we know these are your requirements on day one. And we're going to kind of go into that back room and we're going to produce something at the end of the day that hopefully is what we're looking for. Um, and that was a pretty common practice. Right. But I also know that, um, you know, I, I worked with a couple of uh, companies that were very uh, highly engineering driven. Right. So I had some really strong resources on the technical side of things. Right. They were able to get in. Um, and when they're talking about doing uh, they were doing their own development work, but on, on manufacturing equipment, whether it's a highly sophisticated press or whether it's a, another piece of equipment. Um, you know, anything that you bought in the last 20 years or so is going to be IP enabled. So we can now make these equipment talk to my network, right? And what can we do? Well, first thing we're doing is we're sending programs, how to program these machines um, and how to, uh, you know, create the products that we're making. Uh, and the ability to do that is great. But it's also a two-way conversation, right? Because a lot of this, every, all of these pieces of equipment generate Tidal waves of data, right? And uh, I, I was always telling the team this. They said, we now have this, just like I said, it was a tidal wave of data coming at us now, right? We have the ability and we're kind of scooping it out with teaspoons, right? So how can we make this work for us, right? And no matter how much we did, I always feel like we had so much more to do, right? And we did some, you know, pretty interesting things uh, in a couple of positions I was in where, you know, we were get to the point where some of our equipment um, instead of having an operator on the floor who's maybe managing 10 or 15 uh, machines, um, would have to say, you know, turn a light on, something was malfunctioning, um, a maintenance person would come over and work on the machine. Well, the sensors and the equipment would initiate tickets in a, a CMMS system already. So there was no operator intervention, right? Th those are the things we were doing early on where we could say, all right, let's let's eliminate someone having to try to find a problem and then trying to initiate a support ticket with a mechanic or a maintenance person and then waiting for them to get there. Well, all of a sudden we have sensors that are now opening and notifying the people that need to work on the machine. So before someone even noticed it, someone's you know working on it. And, and those are the kind of things that, really can reduce things, especially, you know, in, in manufacturing, we're looking at reducing waste and scrap, right? So instead of producing, you know, X number of units, you're producing one small, like one tenth of that, that's bad, or, or even a smaller fraction of it. It's it's very quantifiable in some regards, too. Um, you know, and, and when it comes to the, the merging of IT and OT, operational technology and digital transformation, and I, 
it's one of those love hate terms, digital transformation, because someone <laughs> will ask you, what's digital transformation? But it's different for everyone, right? What, what is. is important to us and what are we trying to transform is different than, you know, the company that's, uh, you know, a couple of blocks down the road from us. And, you know, it, but obviously, you know, right in the name itself, trying to digitize things, right? Is it paperless? That's part of it, right? That, that's definitely part of it. But it, it really is the ability to use this technology to help you react faster and smarter. Um, you know, you can still write on a piece of paper if you want. Obviously, we're using a lot of technology to, to enable this. Um, but again, I think that the opportunities when you um, look at that merging of the IT and the OT worlds are, are almost limitless. Again, go back to my example of working on finance systems, which are always, you know, a lot of importance there. And obviously, you know, the way people look at the information and report the numbers, everything eventually rolls up into the finance uh, group and they're telling us how well we're doing or how well we're not doing. But no one ever walked into your front door and said, Boy, you got the best looking PLs in the world. That's that's the technology behind that's great. They're gonna go to your shop floor and they're gonna take a look at what kind of technology you've integrated into the floor. And that that's kind of the wow factor at times. And that's that's kind of the way I looked at it. Because again, you know, it, it's it it can really be a differentiator and potentially a competitive advantage uh, as well. You know, especially I've been, you know, in, in my career working in like mid-sized businesses. So we're not you know, the Fortune 500, we're sort of in that next space or the smaller space down. So in times, you know, it, it's tough to compete with those big guys at times because they have the resources that are not quite limitless, but they're they're significantly greater. Um, but you can have advantage in, in these small to mid-sized businesses where you kind of leap over the competition because maybe you are doing things a little better and a little smarter and they got to catch up with you. Or if not, you're catching up with them because these guys, we're all pretty nimble, right? We don't have layers of bureaucracy to get through. And, you know, we don't, one of us is going to be doing it faster and better. It might as well be us. I, I love, you know, seconds matter. And, uh, and, and, and this is huge. And it's actually getting even worse than that. I think it's like, uh, my, you know, whatever, well, microseconds, whatever, I mean, milliseconds, whatever. but get, let's go down even further because that does. I mean, uh, in, especially in manufacturing, because, um, every time that you, uh, um, find something that you can automate, you take, uh, um, you, you tick the process down even more. And and manufacturing, what I love about that is it, it is it is such a game of who can design it and who can design something more efficiently and 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 uh, uh, and more and more quickly. All right, you know, you're always trying to get quicker and more efficient at it, and and still produce the a, a good solid thing, right? But he's. Here's where you can get more interesting, I think, because you're right. It's not just seconds or microseconds that matter, but now. We want to predict, right? We want the predictive to make it matter. So before it happens, we want to start reacting to it, right? And that's when I think, you know, some of the, uh, the AI pieces are going to start to kick in. A lot of people do the predictive analysis now and the predictive work now, uh, which is great. I think that is going to become much more important because the people that are reacting in seconds and microseconds, they're going to be left behind. Well, I love what you said, Tom, because um, so I had a really interesting, you know, kind of fateful uh, thing that happened to me one time. I was on a plane and um, a, a person in uniform was walking by and I said, hey, you know what? Here, I said, move to my middle seat. And I said, you take this uh, this seat here on the end. And uh, and he did. Um, and, uh, um, it, and this was, uh, at the time, uh, one of the, you know, uh, cybersecurity, uh, uh, folks over at CENTCOM, right? I'm not going to say the exact, uh, um, position <laughs> of it, but, you know, and, um, 
and I had a, a I had a lovely two hour discussion with him, picking his brain on cybersecurity and what and what the government was doing at the time, as much as he could say. Um, but but what came out of it was almost exactly what you just said, which was, um, hey, listen, you know, we're you know we're in a war back and forth with all these folks. He goes, um, he goes. Now it's to the point where we're using predictive analysis to figure out where the hotspots are going to be, and we can attack first, right? And I was like, you know, blown away by that. That was years ago, but I was blown away by that. It was like, what a great idea. And this is far beyond, you know, AI at the time was not even a buzzword. You know what I mean? And of course, the government is already working on knowing it, but, uh, but it's amazing because what you just said is exactly the, uh, the concept that's deployed over at our government on cybersecurity now. All right. You know, it, it, which is this predictive analysis of how do we get, okay, listen, it's not about, you know, reducing the amount of time. It's about getting there before it even happens, uh, now, you know. Yeah, and, and predictive, it's been around for a while, right? Obviously, in that realm, definitely, and even in manufacturing, but it is just becoming, you know, stronger, and you've got to be better at it. Uh, again, because if you're not, your, your competition's going to be better at it than you, if that's the case. So you, you just got to. Yeah, and, you know, and innovation is such an interesting thing. You mentioned on here, you were saying when you're going, when you're talking, you know, um, and you were alluding to the fact that innovation, uh, and you said in digital transformation, but it's the same thing with innovation, um, is specific to the company to, or to the organization that's using it. And that's such a great thought, right? Because, um, I think, I think folks try to measure innovation by looking at other people and looking at all this stuff, but really, um, and, and I, what I always kind of tell the, uh, the folks that, that work for me or, or work on my team, uh, um, I say, Hey, listen, don't measure yourself to other people, right? Measure yourself to who you were the day prior, right? And then do that and then try to get better, right? I said, and, and that way you're, you're at, you'll actually will because then you go, okay, here, here's what I did now. Here's what I can do now. And you're, and you're constantly kind of improving yourself, right? Um, it's the same kind of concept with a, with innovation with a company, right? Because it's like, let, you know, obviously you got to be aware of what your competition's doing, but but also let's look at what you're doing and focus on improving that. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting because you may look at an industry and say, well, innovation in this industry. So I come from an automotive, but it was automotive interiors. It was it was like you know leather and, and vinyl in the way, and you look at that and like, how do you innovate there? But that's where your greatest opportunities for innovation could potentially be. You know, obviously, we're not making microchips. We're not, you know, at, you know, we're not writing software that's going to be, you know, used by consumers. But if you look at that, there's tons of room for innovation there, right? And you need to take advantage of it and, and understand well, how you're doing can innovate, right? It's not that traditional path that someone coming out of school, oh, yeah, I'm going to go work for, you know, Google or, or Amazon or someone, the, the innovation that can take place there or Intel, right? But the innovation that can take place here, um, it's, it's going to affect consumers as well, right? You know, making, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the products that you make uh, better and, and making them faster. Again, I, I think you don't have to rule yourself out just because maybe you're not working in an industry that's, that's traditionally thought of innovation, right? I'm not, I'm not, you know, creating, uh, you know, chat GPT. I'm not, you know, working on a platform like that, but you will be using it and you will be using those tools to innovate in the particular area 
that you are working in. And that is going to touch everyone and everything, right? I think from our C level at the corner office down, uh, you know, through our executive level, our management level, but right down to the shop floor and how we're managing that. And I think even the people that we have, you know, working in our warehouses and we are really, or on our manufacturing floor, we're really looking, you know, to, for them to, to embrace some of the technology as well, right? We think uh, that that's the big part of it, right? We, we can't, I can't succeed without them embracing the technology as much as we can drive it from the corner office. Um, you know, I think they have to buy into it as well. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, you have to look at it like that. And, um, you know, how you innovate and where you innovate from don't necessarily look at, oh, our products don't lend itself to that. Of course they do. Everything does. And, and, and you're right too, is everybody is, uh, is starting to get into it. I mean, you know, and, um, yes, AI is the buzzword and, and, and it's easy to talk about, but it, what's, what I'm more interested in, I think what you are more interested in is how this is going to play out in, a multitude of different industries. There are going to be some very innovative ways that this this is being used. Besides the, you know, just using it to write an email. And actually, I was joking with a colleague today about if if uh, um, if if generative AI ever just they shut it off, right? Emails are going to be like, "Hi, I don't know how to write an email now." <laughs> the amount of uh, emails I get, I look at, I'm like, wow, that person became a really good writer overnight. <laughs> I know. Or you, you have something. How the? What's a better way to explain this? And then, ah, that's that's a, a generative AI. That's a pretty good explanation. I, I, I you know, no, it, it's. I mean, it's funny because it's actually getting to a point where, um, if you're not using it then you're you're falling you're wasting time you're falling by it's it's become a uh, a a process uh, um uh, it's become part of the process now right so and, and rapidly 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 and uh and and if you're not using it uh in in a way uh to and not looking at it. and that's really i think where we're getting at right um if you're not looking at it to figure out ways to either cut off seconds or predict, right? Then uh, for the various company uh, specific processes that you have, uh, then then you're falling behind right now, right? Is that's kind of what you're saying? It is, it is. Yeah, I, I truly feel that, right? If you're not doing that, you are getting further behind your competition, you're eroding your profitability, you're, you know, things that you don't want to happen are going to start happening if you are not, um, if not at least ahead of the curve a little bit, riding that curve. So, so right now it's, it's real difficult because, you know, we have big players in AI, right? So I feel a little stable because, you know, you have, you have, you know, Microsoft with, uh, uh, the partnership with OpenAI. You have Google and, 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 uh, uh, Lambda or whatever the new one's called, right? <clears throat> um, and, and so you got players that, that are pretty big that are leading this, this charge. But the government regulations still haven't uh, uh, dropped on this. Um, you, we know that uh, the White House is actively looking at uh, um, governance controls on on AI. Um, we know that the um, uh, that the uh, uh, European Union still hasn't weighed in on this, and and given their uh, um, privacy laws, we're, we're you know we're um, wondering it's, what's going to happen there. Yes, yeah, of course. So. There is a lot of uncertainty in this technology right now and where it will go. And there's, there's a lot of people that are putting their eggs in this basket 
and and running with it. Uh, and so there's a lot of technology that and and systems and items and stuff like that are becoming, uh, you know, it, you know, actual permanent fixtures. Uh, that if any of these things rock the boat, that could be a, a major uh, um, uh, a disruption. It definitely, right? I mean, we're watching closely to see what comes up. And, you know, the, I think the hope is that they put guardrails on it for safety and, and making sure the measures are all properly taken. You know, obviously, there'll they'll still probably be concerns, you know, how far they go, how far they don't go. Um, but without limiting the ability to use it as a tool that will you know, become useful for us. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think it is going to be more around guardrails, but you're right. The EU hasn't weighed in yet. And we know that they've kind of been, I want to say heavy handed in some areas, but they definitely have gone further than we have maybe with some of the regulations here, especially around privacy, GDPR, things like that. But, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that regulation all plays out and then what the impact is to our ability to drive that uh, tool to, to work the best for us. Yeah, I, I think that's a. I think it's a good answer. <laughs> it's it. It is a. Uh, I think it's a, a normal thing anyway within technology. Uh, that new technology, we just don't know what's going to happen with it, and we try our best to navigate it. So, well, uh, they say you always underestimate the near term and always on you know always overestimate the near term, but always underestimate the long term um, on what it can do. So you know, the next two years, we'll probably think. You know, it'll be flying cars and we won't have to, you know, AI will be doing everything. But in 10 years or it always it's always it's probably accurate. Right. Um, you know, if you came back to this conversation in 10 years and we'll do a podcast in 10 years. And, there you go. And, you know, we'll see what it looks like. And probably it won't be much like we thought. There'll be probably much more uh, interesting things that have happened that we haven't even thought about today. That's true. I mean, you know, I think we all it's funny because AI is one of those things that we always knew was a possibility. Uh, and I've actually have had some guests on before that have pointed out the fact that we've been doing AI for quite a while now, actually. It's just the mere fact that now it is uh, um, it, it has come to the point where we can interact, right? And it so, stands with many people too. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, you know, and, 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 the, and on top of that too, they've used that data over time to compile and get to this point. So it's not like it's an overnight, like we just, Hey, we learned how to do it. No, it's, uh, we've been doing it for quite a while. It's just technology's finally caught up and all this stuff's finally caught up to a point where we can actually disperse it out to the public um, so that they can keep training it. So, <laughs> so, um, but, but no, the, the, um, the remarkable thing about, about this, and, and I think you touched on it well is it, you know, it will be some, it will eventually be something else. Um, and we'll get back to that in a minute because, um, uh, you know, uh, I have a segment that that'll come up that I think I'm going to, we'll focus on addressing that a little bit. Um, I want to jump back a little bit to, uh, talking about process, especially when it comes to, um, operations, because, um, I've touched a little bit on how IT can uh, help in the financial realm uh, so much, right? Uh, and I tell, I, you know, I, I tell folks, you know, if you if if you haven't become friends with uh, the finance department right, or accounting department, you need to go do that because that's your. That, I mean, that's they're the people that are going to help fund your uh, your adventures, right? <laughs> so right. they'll help you find the money, right? <laughs> Uh, then the other piece of the puzzle, though, is um, is operations. And I've had uh, the blessing of working with some really, really good COOs uh, um, in my time. And um, 
and, and uh, one of them uh, uh, who I just talked to the other day was fantastic as um, had been with, you know, one of my earlier companies that had been there for 16 years. And I um, have great respect for um, these are these uh, COOs, the good CEO COOs, they know the business inside and out. Right. And partnering with them is just it's like if you're not doing it, why? Right. Explain a little bit why that's so important for our audience. Well, I, you know, I think you, you nailed it I'm, I'm right in the head. I think they have the insights into a lot of the business. And, you know, I think one of the advantages of, of doing what I do and, and being in IT, you do get exposed to a lot of the pieces of the business where, you know, every business has some silos and some are better at, you know, cross functions, cross training. But within IT, you do, especially in a leadership role in IT, um, you're not pegged to a certain department or, you know, maybe you're just an infrastructure or whatever. But I think, you know, we do see all of the business and we, uh, the good and the bad, the, you know, we hopefully, you know, help with some of the good and we see some of the strong processes. Um, but we also see where the weaknesses are. Um, but you really will get a, a much stronger sense when you work with a COO who really understands the business as well. And I've been lucky in my career too. I think the COOs that I've worked for have, have you know, really a, a strong understanding of the business business in general, the market conditions, um, and, you know, getting their insights is invaluable, right? I mean, they have a vision too, right? We have a vision in IT, and as an IT leader, you have a vision. They have a vision too, what they think the operation should look like, right? We shouldn't be competing. We should be harmonizing um, the best that we can. And I think that's really where it becomes strong. But I think your point as well on, on the financial side of things, um, you know, obviously, you're right. You want to be able to fund what we're working on and be able to give resources uh, as needed um, as well. So I think that that partnership is important uh, as well. Um, and again, in a manufacturing environment, a lot of times you will find the, the operations folks and the finance folks kind of joined at the hips because they're working in concert with each other um, on efficiencies and profitability and lots of that. Insert yourself into that, right? Because if you're in the middle of that mix, you're going to see everything and you're going to see their vision and they're going to see your vision and what you can do to help them. And hopefully when you talk to them, the light will go on with you, what you can do, but also, you will shed light onto what their vision is, and they will come to you and say, you've talked about this, Tom. We want to be able to do something like that. How can you make that happen? I, I love that. Let's set, set the stage of what could be. So when they're ready, they're, they, uh, they have a path to go. I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. It is, right? I mean, we've done a lot of things where, you know, we talk about it today, but nothing happens for a little while. But, you know, six months from now, nine months from now. That conversation comes back around. Tom, do you remember when you said this? I think we're ready to look at that now. Um, but you planted that seed of something that could be done, right? And a lot of times it's because I listen to what they wanted to do and I think about what I can do and, you know, it kind of formulates from there. So it's happened many times. And I love that. I, you know, I, I love that. And I also, uh, um, you know, you, we talk about, uh, um, you know, obviously we referenced COOs, right? Because the normal place to start, you get the vision there, you get that type of stuff. Um, but early on too, you did mention uh, actually uh, going out and actually having conversations and and, and having listening conversations with um, uh, many of the other folks, right? Um, and I always found this interesting that when you started diving into uh, different uh, or uh, different parts of the organization, you found uh, uh extremely knowledgeable folks uh um you know that were that would exist in different pockets that knew a lot of information knew a lot about how things work 
and uh, and they and they just people would come to them right uh, you know all the time asking them questions about how things are going. They'd do great at their job, and then they'd be sitting there asking questions on, yeah, you got to do it like this. Oh, change it this way. You know, uh, you know, you got to do it this way because it's it's it doesn't gonna it's not gonna work. You know, twist it right <laughs> twice and then tap well, on that yeah. and that'll work, right? We'll that that kind of knowledge. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think up and down the organization, um, you're, you're going to find people that are really going to be able to give you insights into, uh, you know, what what can be done better, right? I think, and don't again, COO is great to partner with, the C level, the VP level, but all the way up and down the organization, um, you're going to get people with insight because, you know, that COO that you're working with, you know, he was at that position at one time. He has seen that. Well, maybe I got a future COO who has a nice vision of what can be done and understands that. And he's just, starting out his career now or, or someone even someone a legacy employee who's been there a long time and sometimes you'll think boy they, they they're just they're gonna go with the flow and do what they do every day maybe no one listened to them right but i'll listen to them you know maybe maybe the idea is better than anything i've come up with for their particular vertical application so um the worst thing i i've committed is a little bit of time and that's it i i love that i love that um so you know before we uh, again, to get in the last segment, I want to jump. I, I want to jump back just to uh, to the ERPs because um, this is something that I mean, we touched on. We touched on uh, Oracle. We touched on a few things, and there's you know they're the staples. There's some big staples of uh, ERPs, but they are so important within a um, uh, uh, you know within manufacturing. Uh, to marry all the different processes together. And as we talked about all uh, these processes working, not they have to be going, right? Because anytime that IT stops in a manufacturing company, you're losing money. We, we, we calculate downtime to the minute and, you know, basically lost sales, lost productivity. We quantify it. And, uh, you know, hopefully that number doesn't make us nauseous when something happens, right? That's, but it, it's, it's a, it's a quantifiable, uh, impact keeping the lights on. I mean, again, we don't talk much about that. I mean, we hopefully do that part of the job pretty well. But, um, if you don't do that part of the job well, then it's tough to get traction in the areas where you do want to innovate. So, and I, I see this, um, I, I see folks when, and this is like, I've seen multiple businesses do this. They come in and somebody says, we got to switch out this ERP, right? Is, does that ever give you a heart, like a mini heart attack when, uh, <laughs> when somebody says that? Yes, sure. I, I think, look, we got to put a lot of thought on a decision that is such magnitude. I, again, you, you put a new ERP in, you're, you're looking at least 10 years into the future, right? You're not switching ERPs every, three years or five years, um, you know, 10 years or more in a lot of cases, unless it is a total failure and a total bust. So you really need to evaluate what you're going to be doing, what the impact is going to be, what the disruption is going to be, um, what the change management is going to look like. Look, a lot of systems will manage the processes reasonably well, right? I think, you know, when you look at areas that are a little more generic, like finance, right? They, you want to pay the bills, you want to collect the cash. Um, you know, those things all kind of work very similarly. Um, are there any particular verticals within your industry where some ERP systems work better than not? The big guys like Oracle's, SAP's, um, you know, Infor's of the world, they, they handle a lot of scenarios. Um, but yeah, it, it can make you very nervous, right? Especially, um, the, the the hot new system that someone read about, and boy, this thing is going to be the best thing in the world. You know, I think when um, I've done some larger ERP implementation selections and implementations, 
And, you know, one of the criteria is sustainability, right? It's got to be, it's one of the four pillars of IT I consider, right? Um, sustainability, value, uh, security, functionality, right? Sustainability. Um, and whatever system you're looking at, do you think in five years or 10 years from now, there is the significant or reasonable potential that it will be acquired or you could be orphaned or whatever platform you're looking at, or are you not going to be able to get resources to do any sort of work on that platform? That's a big factor. I, I, I think much more so than the bites and the bits, um, because a lot of them handle a lot of these things very well. And I have never seen one that is so miles ahead of anyone else that the business would run, you know, poorly with one. And no, it's, it's the people, the process using the system the right way um, and the ability to sustain it. Right. I think, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think those are some of the bigger ones. Well, I, no, I'm glad you said that. And now I have a question for you because this is the re- so, you know, you talked about failing, failing fast, right? Mm-hmm. Failing fast and failing cheap. Right. And mm-hmm. replacing in the RP starting that process uh um you better fail quickly uh and stop it before it goes right because and that's it's almost hard to do right and then on, on top is. of that you think is there ever really a time uh um where replacing an ERP is a strategic advantage for a company I, I think that is. Yeah. You, you know, the scenarios could be if you are significantly behind and you have a significant amount of of, of uh, technical debt that you haven't upgraded in so long that you are really missing significant functionality or you are so inefficient in doing things. I think that's definitely a driving factor. Um, yeah, but in, in terms of failing fast and failing cheap, which I firmly believe. You know, a lot of times these implement uh, these ERP systems will have implementation partners that may not be the company that you're buying the software from, right? So I think that the person walking through your door, or most likely now working remotely but helping you out, but that's going to make all the difference in the world, right? That partner that you choose to implement whatever system you're looking to um, is, is really probably going to be the most important factor, even more so in a lot of cases in the actual system that you select. Um, and if that that is an area that you probably want to make sure where if you're going to have a failure, you don't want that to go on too long. You may want to evaluate that quickly. Hopefully, you've gone and, and vetted that group enough and you have enough confidence in that group. Um, you also have to understand, um, and, and I, I think that everyone does, but maybe not to the degree of what the disruption and the change management piece is. It's going to be difficult, and it's going to be difficult to implement, and there's going to be a period even after you are live, that you need to stabilize. And that period could be up to a year at times, right? If you are a big environment, right? Um, hopefully it's not that long. I've you know, seen someone go through it recently and they're about nine months into it and they feel like they've stabilized now. You know, hopefully you can do it sooner than that. But, you know, there there is significant disruption. And I think it, it needs to be recognized that, uh, you know, the change management piece um, and, and the partner that you choose to, to implement is going to have a bigger role than you imagine. And and so that leads itself to process, right? The ability to design your process to uh um to be most efficient and then make sure that uh the tech you know the technology can handle that process appropriately. Um that sounds to me like that's where the real benefit of the replacement of the ERP is the redesign of the processes. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you know we try to adhere to these systems are built a lot of around the best practice in certain processes and the ones that are repeatable across industries, right? Uh, so we always try to encourage us you know, to be as vanilla as possible in some of these processes where 
you know, uh, it, it, the, the impact of being heavily customized uh, wasn't as great. Again, you know, there are areas, especially as you hit operations where everything's done a little bit differently. We're manufacturing this, you're manufacturing that. So the processes are a little bit different, but that's where you do need to have the flexibility. But uh, it, it's a tough balance, right? It's a very tough balance, right? How far do we want to go in that direction versus how far do we want to go in the standardization direction, right? I mean, you, you got to balance that. It's it's never a perfect answer. Um, and it's, you just have to understand where that sweet spot is for you. So we've reached IT crystal ball which is uh, the segment where we say, uh, what is the future of IT, right? And we've covered a lot of stuff in here. Um, and we've actually covered a little bit of the future uh, possibilities that could happen. Um, I, you know, I think the question here that we really need to tackle in this IT crystal ball is what is the future for uh, uh, companies to stay ahead when technology is going so fast, what does that future look like? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great, great question. You know, I, you know, again, you know, I, I kind of go back. You know, fail fast and fail cheap is maybe you know where you can. Um, you know, but you you can look at it from that approach. Um, it, it's you know probably a little easier for small to mid sized businesses to be a little bit more nimble, but also we have less ability to absorb risk. Um, right. So, you know, you, you do need to be very careful with that. But I think, you know, just continuously uh, getting that feedback loop from your teams as the business changes. I mean, you know, it, it's it's just it's always dynamic, right? Nothing stays the same. You know, I mean, I'm not the first person to say if you stay the same, you're going to die. Right. It's, it's you, you just need to continually evolve. And how do you insert my IT team into that so that we understand that faster than maybe someone else does, right? And that's that's probably the, the best advice I got. Kind of listen to this uh, team and what what the pain points are, and uh, you know, try to figure out how we can and best solve some of their issues. It's a it's a huge challenge, right? I think uh, you know it's 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 ear shark, right? You never you, you never you don't never you never stop. You're always in motion. Back to our earlier conversation, do you think that prediction may help here at all? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think, you know, obviously, uh, we're just scratching the surface on what this AI looks like and how does that work with ERP, right? How is that going to help in, in this process? There's so many things that, you know, it's looking at doing now. And it's, you know, you, you think about it. Well, it can do simple things now very easily. Let's, you know, you get a chat bot or where, Hey, let's work with our finance team to do customer collections. That stuff is easy, right? And relatively easy, but really, you know, when some of these processes get a little more intricate, how much more is it going to involve, evolve to help us manage that? But let's use our brain power to do the more profitable things, right? You know, let's, let's try to get away from, um, you know, and, and that's the whole, you know, not a big piece of it, right? That's where everyone's trying to get to is more, I don't want to say mundane, but more the routine things, getting away from that and then using our creativity where we do well, right? People do well uh, with that and drive that into the business and try to become more uh, profitable, more, uh, you know, just become better through that process. What we're doing what we do best and maybe trying to leverage where the AI is best now and where it's going to be best going uh, in the future, not eliminating jobs or people, but trying to leverage what people do best. I, I I love that answer. It's, it's, Hey, listen, the future itself may be automating a bunch of stuff, 
But that's really freeing us up to do what humans do best, which is be creative and come up with things to make things cooler, right? I mean, that's that's, that's really the, the... You said it much better than I did, but that's that's where I was going with it. <laughs> no, you did a good job. I was just trying to figure out. Hey, I love to summarize things and put them in the, into the words and go, oh, yeah, this is what he's this is what he's getting at. But I, what a great way to come around to that. That was a tough question I threw at you. And I was wondering where you were going to go with it. And and it ended up with a uh, um with a with a great answer. Wow. Hey, uh, what a way to take technology and then go through a huge conversation of technology and end on a note where we come back to, but we're humans and and we're always going to be doing what we do, you know, being creative. Yes. I love it. Nerds, this is uh, Michael Moore. been hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I've been here with Tom Ferrucci, uh, Chief Information Officer at NACO Home Group. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. I really appreciate uh, the time here, and it's been an uh, absolute great conversation. Michael, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun hour. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. <laughs>